55. I'm middle-aged. <laughs> this is the middle-aged podcast. But I think we already knew that, didn't we? I think this one's really good. So my friend Tanya, who's also someone who lives in my neighborhood, is a breast cancer survivor. And her story, man, if she couldn't have more going on in the time that she was diagnosed and went through treatment, I mean, it, it her story is a bit crazy. So for anybody out there that has breast cancer, had breast cancer, know someone who has breast cancer, this might be a great episode to go, wow, I just had to deal with myself. She had to deal with so much more than that. So I am so grateful she came and we had a chat. And um, I hope you benefit from it as much as I did. I learned I learned a lot this episode. So thanks for coming back for number 55. And I hope you enjoy. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. Well, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. I think that we should. So, you had breast cancer. Yes. You yes, did. I did at um, 42. That's so really young. It's young. It's young, yes. I was part of the Young Women's Breast Cancer Study because of it, and which is ironic because, you know, I'd had a baby just three. Well, when I started having symptoms, she was three months old, but I didn't know that's what it was. But she just turned six months old when I was diagnosed. So oh my gosh. I was considered a geriatric pregnancy, mm-hmm. but I was considered a young for breast cancer. Right. So that was kind of crazy. That is crazy, but she <laughs> was your third. Yes. So yeah. you ha- how old were your other two? Um, Ava was, was she eight, I think, when I was diagnosed, and Ashley would have been five. Eight and five. Eight and five, and then a newborn, basically. Oh, Halston's saying, pull the mic closer to oh, you. closer to Just me. a little. Okay. I like to point it down like this. He doesn't like when I do this, but then it gets out of my way, <laughs> and I don't see it. Well, I know I have a quiet voice. I know Ava's mad at me because I think she inherited my quiet voice. She's oh, like, yeah? Your voice is so quiet. I'm like, sorry. Uh, I think sometimes my kids wish I had a quiet voice. <laughs> I have such a big voice, and so does Bert. Our house is very loud. We yeah. have one child, I think, that would much rather have a quiet house oh, that's funny <laughs> so eight and five and six months yeah yeah and what type of cancer was it it was um stage two um invasive breast cancer okay so, so that's aggressive so that's the kind that um had spread like beyond i actually had non-invasive and invasive i had two types of cancer oh my so goodness they found out um when they did my mastectomy that my mass was actually 11.5 centimeters so that's like four like inches that's huge yes I was gonna say really big yeah so two centimeters of it was the invasive and then it was surrounded by the non-invasive which was the rest of it so Mm. um so being pregnant actually in one way probably increased the size but in another way like we caught it I think earlier than we may have because of being pregnant so 
you know, we called Annabelle our bonus baby, but then when everything started happening, we were like, oh, she might have been a blessing baby. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. she definitely, having her really pulled me through, I think, the whole thing, because I couldn't just, even when I had just done chemo, I couldn't just sit on the couch and feel sick. I had right. to get up and go get her because she started crawling not too long after. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was just, I was ta- talking to somebody about talking to you today and they said the same thing they Mm -hmm. said i bet having the baby made the process not better but you you can't focus on yourself on it exactly you have to just keep moving forward Mm -hmm. i mean that's the the beauty sometimes of motherhood Mm -hmm. is that you can't focus on some of the other things that that may be hard going on in life Mm -hmm. um that's crazy yeah how did you feel (laughs) I was, it was like the biggest shock of my life. And I know a lot of people say that when they find out that they have cancer, but I had had like 10 years before I'd had a big fluid filled cyst in the same side and they drained like two big syringes full of fluid. So I was just like, oh, I have another fluid filled cyst. I'll just go get an ultrasound and have it drained. And when I went for the mammogram, I was talking to, you know, the technician just about like Stella and Dot jewelry. And I was, you know, just chatting away. And um, she's like, okay, I'm going to go show these pictures to the doctor. I'll be right back. And she came in. She's like, oh, he wants me to use some, or she wants me to do some magnification. And I thought, oh, it's probably because I'm nursing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we went into the ultrasound and she did the same thing. She's like, okay, I'm going to show these pictures to the doctor. I'll be right back. Well, she didn't come back. The doctor came back. Oh. Yeah. So the doctor was, the radiologist was doing the ultrasound and then she started ultrasounding my armpit and it's like, literally, I felt like the room got darker. Wow. Yeah. And she's like, do you have people that can take care of you? I want to do a biopsy in two days. Don't be late. I'm going to do it first thing in the morning. And I was just like, what is happening? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you discover it. Did I could you? feel it. You yeah. could. Yeah, I could, re- I could feel it. It was really big. And Plus, I remember yeah. being at a party and showing like someone like, oh my, like, oh, I have this huge fluid filled cyst. Like, feel it. It's huge. You know, and who knew that that was like cancer right there? Because most right. people, they feel either they don't feel anything or they feel like a tiny little something, mm-hmm. you know, but mine was very, it was one of those things that I kind of flashed back to when I had the fluid filled cyst and the nurse was like, oh, you know, I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. Cancer doesn't just show up. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you made a liar out of her. It just showed up, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, you hadn't noticed it growing no, or it and, just kind of one no, day? And my OB, you know, had felt around because I missed a mammogram because I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if, I mean, looking back, I don't know, maybe they do them if you're nursing, because, or if, but they don't if you're pregnant, you know. But, right. So I missed one, literally, and this 11.5 centimeter mass, like, showed up. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it was meant to be a teratoma tumor. You know what that is? Mm-mm. It's your, your twin that's trapped oh. in your body, and it has <laughs> hair and teeth in it, and it's disgusting. No, but um, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's now... What I read, I went to breastcancer.org and read because I don't have knock on wood. Mm-hmm. I have I have family. I've lost family members to ovarian cancer. And that's a hormone based cancer. Right. But I didn't know much about breast cancer because I, I, I don't have any really close friends or relatives as, that have ever had it. So I did a little bit of reading on it. And um, that sounds really big. But I lost my train of thought. I brought mm. that up for a specific reason. But, um, oh, it said that only, let me see, I have it right here. 
five to ten percent of breast cancer is genetically inherited. Oh yeah. Oh, the yeah. rest of it is from aging. Oh yeah, hormones and yeah, exactly. It's it's really funny because I describe it to people like I feel like it's the lottery that nobody wants to win. Right. You know, I mean, because it does seem really random as far as like right. I at the time I had only known a little bit about my biological family because I'm adopted. Um, and so wait, you're adopted. I am adopted. And when did you know you were adopted? I've, o- I've always known that. Oh, I was okay. Adopted. That's I was, good. I was adopted. I was actually brought to my mom and dad's foster home when I was 18 months old. Oh my goodness! And my mom and dad um, adopted me then. So Aww. I rem- I feel like I actually that feels like my first memory actually when they because it was Halloween and the social worker brought me to them and I went right to my mom and put my head down and hugged her and that was it and it was done it was it i handed out candy to the kids so halloween is like an anniversary for us that's got to be a powerful day right Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. wow so why were you in foster care my biological mom was really young Mm. and she just couldn't take care of me just couldn't do it yeah initially my mom was supposed to teach her how to take care of me but it just became kind of apparent and i've met her and i've talked to her and she's very sweet right she's just you know i think kind of flighty and she just can take care of herself right that kind of thing so you know i think it worked out i think it was meant to be it sounds like it was divine yeah exactly right yeah yeah. if you went right to that mom and Mm -hmm. were like okay i'm home Mm -hmm. let's hand out some candy yeah exactly that's amazing and the i remember the story my mom said the social worker when they wanted to adopt me took me for like a ride in the car because i like to go for a ride in the car and I'm sure I didn't have a car seat, but uh, <laughs> in the seventies, right? <laughs> but um, she's like, "Do you?" She's like, "What do you think about um, Carol being your mommy?" And I looked at her like really confused, and I was like, "She is my mommy." You oh, know how funny! So it was just like right from the start. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That mm-hmm. really is a pair that were meant to be. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. But when I was diagnosed, um, mm-hmm. I had met a biological half brother when I was eighteen, and his sister had met like one of my biological aunts and had her phone number. So I was able to actually talk to a biological aunt and there was no breast cancer in the family. In fact, no real cancer in the family. So, um, you know, as far as speaking to the genetics of it, um, you know, that's, uh, mine wasn't genetic. But then, and this might be a whole nother conversation <laughs> for us another day, but I last week was matched on Ancestry DNA with a biological brother like a full brother from a half brother from okay. my dad's side, which um, oh, that's that's a big story. Who like my biological dad's side of the family? I never knew anything about. Um, but uh, it turns out that after talking to him, and I actually have three biological half brothers. Um, my biological father did pass away from cancer, and my biological grandmother passed away from cancer. So okay, um, you know, not. Um, like hormone-based cancers, lung cancer, and pancreatic cancer, actually. Okay. Yeah. So Those are very different types, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're really bad. Yeah. You'd probably much prefer the breast cancer. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that was the thing is, like, people ask me, um, you know, how long did I have cancer? And I said, well, I was diagnosed on, like, August 4th or something. I mm-hmm. saw all my doctors on the 11th. And then I, by September 9th, I was having the bilateral mastectomy and I walked, I walked into the hospital um, and with cancer and I walked out of the hospital without cancer. Right. So, you know, I had a lot of treatment after that. Sure. But initially, like they were really quick to get it out. And I'm sure it was because my doctor said they were really scared for me because of the size mm. of it. And they, because it was the, the invasive. Right. 
as yeah. well. Yeah. Because uh, what I read on, on mm-hmm. breastcancer.org is that that's like, that's a scary that's the kind that can spread, yeah. Like really quickly. So I, I actually feel like, you know, you're talking, you were talking about like um, divine things. I feel like it was a miracle it hadn't spread. It sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, if I understand this wrong, the invasive was enveloped in the, in the non-invasive. non-invasive. Yeah. So something was protecting it, exactly, right? Exactly. It was like a styrofoam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, like gave me goosebumps. Cover. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's amazing. Yeah. I think all the doctors were like completely shocked because, you know, they expected it to have spread to lymph nodes, but it, they, no, 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 no. they biopsied a bunch of lymph nodes and didn't find any cancer in them. And for anybody who doesn't know, a lymph node is like, it's like a super highway yeah. to every other organ, every other bone, everything, right? Your yep. lymph nodes just it's, will just super highway it out everywhere. Exactly. It's like so your body's filtering kind of system too. So it catches everything. Right. Oh, you're so lucky. Yep. So, um, double mastectomy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that? Um, well, you know, I probably could have done just one, one side because the cancer was only in one side, but I had to stop nursing like right away. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I went to see my doctors initially, the reconstructive surgeon, I remember sitting there and him just looking at things and just, I was still kind of in shock. I'd seen like seven in the morning to four in the afternoon. I'd seen all these doctors and he just was looking at me like I didn't even feel like a person. He just was looking back and forth. And he's when I said something about nursing, he's like, you're nursing. I can't believe you're nursing. Why are you still nursing? And I'm like, I just found out about this a couple of days ago and I have a baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so um, so I stopped nursing pretty quickly. But then I remember feeling around on the other side. And for a split second, I thought maybe I felt something. And that was all I needed to know, like, just do both. Yeah, you know, I don't want to have to worry about this. It's so big, you know, just do both. And and so the thing of it is, is that so that was an easy decision to do both. But then during surgery, um, when they realized how big it really was, Mm -hmm. they actually had to call Scott um, on the phone. And he was in a place where he didn't get good reception. And they were like, saying that they couldn't they couldn't do the reconstruction because the mass was too big and mm. um Scott and what do we do you know do you want us to just leave it and then do the reconstruction down the road and so Scott when he got the message he thought that meant they couldn't do the reconstruction at all and oh my so gosh. he was like afraid and everything yeah. so they actually only reconstructed one side the right side and the other side I was like flat for like six months, I had to wait because I had to do another surgery after that um, called a lat flap surgery where they take skin and muscle from your back and they move it around to the front to make like a patch. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that was the way they were able to do the reconstruction. So I woke up, you know, kind of surprised that I only had the one side (laughs) done. Um, But luckily, by the time Annabelle was old enough to start looking down and pulling the little pillow out um you know I was able to do the other side so I I ended up with um including my gallbladder out five surgeries in one year why was your gallbladder out it just decided to give me some grief during Uh, chemo oh you're kidding yeah yeah, and it had to come out yep and that's not an easy surgery is it no you know it's really funny too because a lot of hospitals they send you home the same day and to me that's just crazy i ended up back in the emergency room that night and in the hospital for like three days yeah what does your gallbladder do what's its purpose i think it's another filter of some kind yeah 
Well, it's a bladder, so clearly it holds some kind of liquid. I have no idea. It's like, uh, what is it? Anatomy. Is it something to do with, it's like filtering it with your liver and that kind of stuff. But okay. I had, it was like full of stones, I guess. From the chemo? <clears throat> Probably, partly, partly. Oh my yeah. goodness. So you had five, so you had uh-huh. the, so the, the mastectomy, the gallbladder, the flap, the lat thing. flap. Um, then I had the exchange surgery where they take the um, expanders because they put the expanders in. So the one side was an expander and then a lat flap. They put the other expander and then there's the surgery to take the expanders out and put in the implant, the implants. Mm -hmm. So after nine days after um, I had the implants put in, um, I developed a hematoma that (gasps) broke loose and literally, (laughs) literally like I, it was like Dolly Parton on the left side. Oh my and gosh. just in the matter of what from walking downstairs to upstairs, I noticed it like get swelling and swelling. And I was like, what is happening? So I called the the surgeon on call and they're like, oh, yeah, come in. And that was really crazy because UCLA emergency room, they were fantastic. But the only room they had with privacy was the psych room. Oh, my God. <laughs> <gasps> So here he's like walking me back and he's like, I'm sorry, this is the only room we have with some privacy because, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, tests, they had to check everything. And I'm walking into this like metal room looking around and, you know, past a guard. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, at least I have my own bathroom. (laughs) My brain's going, there's straps on the wall. There's blood in one corner. I'm sure it wasn't like that, but it was like a metal room, though. It was really like crazy. I bet it was crazy. Well, you know, Kanye West was in that room like not too long after that. So I was like, Tanya, I should have written Tanya was here. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Kanye. I knew you'd be here at some point. You're a little loony. I know. That's what that's. What's the time frame of all that? One year. In 12 months, yep. all that happened? That's all insane. All that happened in one year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what and was happening at home? I'm, I still have questions sure. about chemo and stuff, but what was happening at home when all this was going on? Well, luckily, my mom that we talked about earlier, she came down from Washington and she stayed with us. Like every time I had a surgery, I wasn't able to even hold Annabelle for like four to six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a long time. mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So like not necessarily the gallbladder, but yeah. So after every surgery, so I had the first one and I couldn't hold her for like four to six weeks. And then, you know, I had the next, the lat flap and I couldn't hold her for four to six weeks. And so that happened every time. So looking back, my mom was with us for probably like at least six months out of that year. My goodness. Yeah. And then, you know, I couldn't hold Annabelle looking back for like at least six months out of that year. That was really hard. You know, she'd sit yeah. next to me on the sofa or Aww. something. And but yeah. that would be hard. Mm-hmm. When I was pregnant with Isla, I was also almost a geriatric pregnancy. I was 36 okay. when I was pregnant mm-hmm. and they did some genetic testing where they took some fluid oh, yeah. you know out but I had to lay flat for 48 hours after oh, that yeah, yeah. to let that hole heal mm-hmm. but I had a two-year-old almost two-year-old so my mother-in-law came in we lived in this loft apartment and we slept in the loft mm. so she I would hear my mother-in-law going gee Georgia I'm not sure what's for lunch today and then I would text her and then tell her what to make but I was really sad and that was only two days I couldn't because I couldn't hold her she couldn't like jump on me they were like you need to go yeah. somewhere else with your two-year-old she's too young she mm-hmm. can't understand they're rowdy and rambunctious and you need to separate so that's kind of how we did it but it was only two days I right. can't imagine six months I would be really sad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did it make Annabelle feel do you think 
I don't know. I mean, she, I th- think she was okay because, <clears throat> you know, my mom kind of picked up right where I left off. Luckily, you know, my mom was, she was like the end all or is the yeah. end all be all of caregivers. That's what she did. She was a foster parent. And then she worked in infant rooms and in, like child care, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me for her. <clears throat> her whole life okay so that's what she did <clears throat> so annabelle didn't miss a beat she didn't she didn't miss out mm-hmm. um how were your older kids handling it <clears throat> they were i think they were okay <clears throat> sorry it's okay like i said about my voice <clears throat> um when when i was diagnosed initially i was really concerned because especially for ava you know being older and yeah. So I sat them down and I, you know, I asked them, I said, so I want to talk to you guys about something. And um, I said, what do you think about when you hear the word cancer? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember which one of them. One of them said dying. And I said, okay, well, there are some types of cancer that you can die from. And I said, but you know that bump that I have? I said, that's cancer, but it's not the kind you die from. Right. So right away, I wanted them to know that I was going to be okay and even though we didn't know everything at that point, I was like, you know, I'm going to do no, I'm going to do anything I have to do to stay here with these kids. Yeah, totally. That was one of the things that um, the radiologist, when she did the biopsy, I asked her, usually, you know, they won't tell you from the biopsy if what if it's cancer, if it's mm-hmm. not. But I asked her, I said, can you tell by looking at it if that's what it is? And she said, yes. And I want you to know there's a lot we can do for you. I want you to have hope. And I was like, of course I have hope. I have three kids. I'm not going anywhere. Right. You know, so that like word hope became a big thing for me, like through the whole thing. And I told the girls, I said, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, And then I told them, you know, it's kind of like if you have a stuffed animal and something happens to the stuffing inside and you have to take out the bad stuffing and then you put in some new stuffing. I said, so that's what the doctor's going to do. The doctor's going to take out the bad stuffing and then they're going to put in new stuffing. So it's all going to be okay. And it was. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting that in, a, in you know, a context they could understand and digest mm-hmm. the, the stuffed animal. That's really yeah. smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really smart. So when you were going through, did you have radiation? I didn't end up needing radiation. That's good. Yeah. Initially, they thought that I was going to have to have like six months of chemo and then um, a series of radiation also. But when the pathology came back and um, it was better than they thought. So I think that, you know, given that the non-invasive was bigger and like you said, containing it, um, I ended up with four rounds of chemo and I didn't have to do radiation. So so four rounds means what? Every three weeks. I think it was every three weeks I went in for chemo. Okay. So you yeah, went in four, four times. times. Yeah. So every three weeks. Yeah. So I started in October and I finished right before Christmas. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... That's not so bad. No. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I've had friends who have um, types of cancer that they've had to go, like, I think I had one friend who had to go every week. Yeah, my aunt did when Mm -hmm. she had ovarian. She went Mm -hmm. every week. Mm -hmm. And some weeks she'd be okay, Mm -hmm. and some weeks she'd just be sick, Yeah, really sick, and wiped out, Mm -hmm. and angry, and, Yeah, that's the funny thing, is I was thinking about that last night, about... I had forgotten it really does mess with your emotions. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know, because I remember being, yeah, like kind of angry and not feeling like, I don't know why I'm feeling angry, but I think it's, the the chemo seems to target 
like weaknesses too. So mm-hmm. like like this little hip problem that I'd had hadn't bothered bothered me in years, and all of a sudden I was having an achy hip or mm. you know that kind of stuff. It's well, it's, I would imagine a myriad of feelings come along with having cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, and anger's got to be one of them. Mm-hmm. There's got to be. Uh, I can't imagine not being angry that I'd yeah. that I even have to deal with it. You know, I seriously have to go for gallbladder surgery now. I'd be angry. <laughs> I'd be pissed off. I just went to bed. That's what yeah. I, you know. <laughs> I got to get up and go to the ER. No. Oh yeah, that was yeah that was like one of the worst pain. In fact, I remember telling the ER nurse. I've had three babies and a bilateral mastectomy, and I feel like I'm going to pass out from this pain. So Wow. Yeah. We had a friend that had gallbladder surgery, and he said the same, that it was just excruciating. Mm-hmm. Um, he had gallstones, mm-hmm. too, and he's had a lot of complications after that surgery. Oh, yeah. Um, it's apparently supposed to be a really simple, like, no... No complication, no no big deal surgery, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. a lot of pain right. leading up to it. So what do you think your, I think the person I see you as is a very positive person. Um, I think you come across very positive. Mm-hmm. But I want to know what the negative was too. What was the negative in this process for you? Because I think people listening, mm-hmm. some you know, some people have a melancholy disposition. They just come here very right. melancholy. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. That's how they process the world. But I think if I'm a very sunny disposition person mm-hmm. and I have a friend that's very melancholy and I think I help her mm-hmm. because I can see her negativity and glass half full it. Okay, you know what yeah. I mean? I go, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but here's the half full. And right. then she, oh, OK, I right. kind of see the half full. So what was your glass half empty emotions in this process um i mean i think definitely not being able to hold annabelle and be there for her and the other two i think was really difficult how'd that make you sure. feel um well she's still sleeping in the bed with us so. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any guilt about that or <laughs> maybe no? a little bit yeah i know yeah so i really i definitely feel that you know i i feel that I, I don't know how long I'll carry that with me, but I feel like I wasn't maybe as there for her as I wanted to be. Right. So definitely, I think there's there's the guilt of it. Right. Um, and you know, trying just not to to keep that that with me. Um, and even for the even for the girls, you know, the the fact that they had to worry about me, and every time they hear like people talking about breast cancer on TV, and I, they were watching American Ninja Warrior, and one of the guy's wife had died from breast cancer, and they oh all kind of Ava looked at me, and um, and you know, I'm sure, just worrying that it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a big thing. I think you know, once once you have it. Um, I don't think there's a way for you to not worry about it coming back. I can't so, imagine there would be. So that's, I've had a lot of anxiety over that. Um, my doctor diagnosed me with PTSD because there was like, after I finished chemo and it's kind of like, you know, you're just trying to keep your head above water and then everything's done and you leave the doctor's office kind of for the last time and you're like, oh, I don't need to make a follow-up appointment. Right. And you feel like you're kind of like pushed out the door on your own. Right. And it's kind of like when you take a baby home from the hospital yeah. and you're like, where's the manual? Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, like, I'm doing this by myself. It's like how I, so now I'm supposed to just go back to living my life. And I, you know, so yeah, so I, I was having a lot of problems actually once everything was over. Um, 
with the PTSD and I remember going to my oncologist and I cried from the moment I walked in the door Aww. until I walked out the door. I couldn't like stop crying. Right. Um, and he's like, but you don't have cancer, you know? And but it is an emotional process. How exactly. can it not be? It's an exactly. upheaval. Exactly. It's and a complete overturn of the right. box of life, exactly. I would imagine. And when you're going through it, you're, you know, just want to get to the other side. Just totally. want to get to the other side. And then when it's over, you're like, wait, what just happened? And then all of a sudden, right. like the keeping your head above water becomes like the water's creeping up and, right. you know, so that was a process. And well, I know a little bit about PTSD because mm-hmm. Bert had PTSD okay. from mm-hmm. his work on the travel channel. Okay. And um, you're right. The water level just keeps getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the way that you I mean, I don't know if you went into treatment for it, if you went to see a therapist or what mm-hmm. you did. But I know for Bert, um, that was the only thing that was going to fix it. Yeah. Because you have to process it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Once you're in the safe place, it's kind of when it all falls apart. Right. You know, as you're, he was jumping off a building one day. The next day, he's like whitewater rafting. The next day, he's bungee jumping off a stadium. The next day, he's like, <laughs> he's in the wild with a lion. The next day, and he's doing this day after day after day where every day he thinks he might die. I was just going to say, he's putting his life like in peril every single day. Every day, he yeah. thought he was going to die. So once he, and and I guess what was explained to me about PTSD is that it is intensity without recovery. That life has to be intensity, recovery, intensity, recovery. If you're in a situation like a war or a disease or jumping off the stratosphere, (laughs) there has to be some recovery. And Mm -hmm. if your body isn't allowed recovery, it goes into PTSD. Mm -hmm. That's what how it was explained to me. So you were just in intensity for 12 months straight. Mm -hmm. And then when that stopped, what a silence it must have felt like. Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting in the hallway because um, Annabelle was sleeping in the bedroom and I was folding laundry in the hallway and just like all of a sudden just crying and thinking yeah. and just feeling like I was on a sinking ship is kind of how it felt. Um, and that's when I, you know, I talked to my mom and I knew I was like, I have to do something. So I went back to talk to the cancer counselor. And mm-hmm. so that's when, yeah, things started getting better. I saw my regular doctor and then I saw, I did see the therapist for a while, and that really helped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therapy's a miracle if you if you use it the way it was intended to be mm-hmm. used. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. use it to just complain. Right. <laughs> if you use it to make discoveries and make changes and let go of things. Right. It's transformative. Oh, for sure. And, you know, and I kind of, it kind of has helped to, to realize that the anxiety that I feel, um, you know, some people go through, go through cancer. And like you were saying, like, they're like, life is amazing. I have a second chance. Mm -hmm. This is I'm going to do this and this and this. But you know, I came through it. And I still had three kids, right? And I have, you know, my husband is an actor. So Mm -hmm. you know, that's not the most stable career, right on the planet, right? So, so, you know, we've had ups and downs and everything. So, you know, I came through it. And I still had to like, be a mom and you know I couldn't just go take a vacation and sit on the beach and decompress right so you know so yeah so I think so it's it's the anxiety I think like I was talking to um, the pastor at our church and I said you know why do you think it is that sometimes people come through and they have like this such a positive thing and then I feel like I have like more anxiety and he Mm -hmm. said well because you you got a rare glimpse that a lot of people don't get at your mortality Mm. So, you know, so I, I had that moment where 
are a lot of moments where I realized that I could be taken away from the kids and Scott right. could have to raise these girls by himself. Right. And so there's always like that little like voice in your head or, you know, I had this pain in my foot and I remember thinking people don't get cancer in their foot, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like this, this, the thing like that you, it's always kind of in the back of your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, anxieties a lot of the time come from real fear, mm-hmm. you know, from you definitely have a legitimate reason to have that like anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. from experience and yeah, I would be scared to death. I think <laughs> I'd be really scared. Um, so I think I wonder how I wonder why they don't require counseling after this process. If they on your last visit with your oncologist, they go, OK, now the next visit you have right. is counseling. Why? Because I can't imagine the people who come out all sunshiny like I got a second chance. I, I, they're not in touch, I don't think. Yeah. Or maybe they're just super lucky. But I can't imagine that is the whole ball of wax of their feelings. Right. They've right. got, you've just been terrified. Mm-hmm. I, I, terrified, I would imagine, for however many months you're in treatment. As strong as you are, it's got to be terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, every, I, I don't, I, I can remember, I think, the last thing I saw each time I was put under anesthesia. And, you know, because every time I had never had surgery before then, I think I'd had my wisdom teeth out or something. And so I remember thinking like every time they put me under the anesthesia, thinking like, I hope I wake up, Right. you know, so, so yeah, I I still have those visuals of it, like seeing the doctors talk to me before I like went under the assistant or whoever and, Mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, I hope I wake up. (laughs) That's so scary. Yeah. Now, during this time, is this the time when Scott was having his back problem? It started, yeah, that started right um, around the time I started chemo. That's crazy. So Scott had, I don't know what his issue was, but he was like near incapacitated, right? Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, My parents were here, and I think that they were getting ready to leave. I'm trying to remember. I think I'd had one round of chemo, and I was getting ready to do the next one. Mm -hmm. And he started having... I think like numbness in his face and his arm and he couldn't stand up because the pain was so bad in his hips. And I remember just telling him if I said, I can't help you up. I mean, you know, here I was like 100 and maybe 20 pounds, right? And, you know, going, he's a big guy. going through chemo and he's a big guy. I said, if I can't, if I can't help you, if you can't get up, I have to call 911. Do I need to call 911? And he said, yeah, he was like, he was on the floor with his hands up on the bed and he couldn't get up. Oh my God. So yeah, so that was, that was really scary. So we took him to the, they took him to the emergency room and um, gave him some prednisone or something Mm -hmm. like that. And that's helped, but he's still, he's done all kinds of tests. Like they're basically ruling stuff out instead of really finding out what it is. And he's having a lot of back problems now, but. Still, um, he still yeah, has that. Yeah, yeah. Oh Yesterday, goodness. he came home from the gym and he's like, "I threw out my back." I'm like, "When are you going to go to physical therapy? You need to go to physical therapy because you know." And they've done ultrasounds, they've done all kinds of neurological tests, and you know they know what it's not. So, well, yeah, what it's not is that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I mean, it's, so, yeah, it's probably maybe not anything life threatening. Just something very yeah well initially i thought maybe his body was just so overwhelmed with stress yeah that he was having like some a physical reaction to the stress that was going on 
Um, but it's been what, three years now, and it's, it will come back. And he now can kind of predict, okay, so it started here. It'll probably move over to the other hip, and um, and then he has to get the prescription. So that's what can kind of uh, – prednisone, is that a steroid? I think it that's is. What, it is a yeah. steroid. And a steroid does what? Is it an anti-inflammatory? I think so. Yeah. I think so. So somebody's being inflamed. That's Something. So mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that and I kept thinking, how are you guys getting up in the morning? How are you getting out of bed? There's so much going on over there. I don't know. And Scott is, I knew Scott better than I knew you from mm-hmm. working at our school fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Right. I just adore him. He's just the most positive, fun happy sweet Mm -hmm. anxious to help never meet a stranger guy i just loved him so much from the first time i met him i was like what a great guy Mm -hmm. that's just such a great guy i thought his knife his wife seems really nice i don't know her as well but oh my god Uh what who's helping them i think i asked somebody who's helping them there's no way scott's doing this in this condition right and there's no way she's doing it so it's your parents yeah and scott's so yeah my my parents um they ended up flying back to washington and then scott's dad came out to help because it was right around Halloween too, and like I was re- I was getting ready for the next round of chemo, and so he like took the girls trick or treating and and that kind of thing. So I stayed home with a friend with Annabelle, and Scott's dad came out, and that was like the whole thing, like trying to get people to come out because we don't have family in town. But right. that was that was actually I think one of the very first lessons that I learned when I was diagnosed. Um, remember I mentioned that day where I was at the doctor's office or I was at UCLA from seven in the morning to mm-hmm. four and five in the evening. I came home and I was so exhausted. I was laying, I laid down and I was checking my email and I had an email from a friend and she said, I'm not gonna take no for an answer. I'm gonna do your laundry. I want you to put it out on the porch in the basket on Friday and I'll bring it back to you all done on Sunday. And at first I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. I can do my own laundry. I started trying to type, like write her back. And I was too tired to even write an email. Oh my God. So that was the moment that I was like, I have to say yes. Yeah. I have to say yes. And that was, I think, one of the most incredible things about the whole process is the community that really rallied around us. Right. I mean, people that I didn't know very well were bringing us like bags of groceries and bags of things for me to juice because I like was drinking green juices all through everything. And, you know, people would come to the door and bring stuff and offer to pick up the kids or, you know, and I had someone offer to just come over and take the dog to their house because we, (laughs) you know, we, we didn't have enough going on. We decided to to get a puppy when I was going oh through my... Oh, my God. Um, With a baby. Yeah. You're yeah. crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. You got yeah. a puppy with a baby with cancer with the back out. All right. You may be Looney Tune. You maybe should have been in that cell with Kanye. That's crazy. I know. I know. But I was like, the girls have been through so much. Yeah. Our little Maltese had passed away um, right before I started chemo. She was 13 years old. And Okay. It's making more sense. Yeah. And the girls, you know, they kept asking and kept asking. And finally, I was like, you know, they need something positive. Right. But then of course, after I had this like lap flap surgery and I like had my arm in a sling and I'm trying to like chase the puppy and chase the, the walking <laughs> the baby. baby, you know, the puppy would grab the baby's sock and go behind the chair. And then I'd be going to get the sock and I turn around and the baby's climbing on something. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I have two toddlers. What's right. happening here? So, you yeah. know, this neighborhood we live in is exceptional. 
I think. Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah. so? Oh, for sure. It's not. It's not normal. I don't think. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can't. It can't be like this everywhere. It's incredible. I think it's like this. In it is like this in my hometown mm-hmm. of sixteen hundred people who have never left the hometown, and everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. But to create this from scratch, like this community has. It's really an exceptional place to live. Mm-hmm. I'm not at all surprised that people were dropping off groceries because of where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of who you guys are. You know, oh. you guys are really nice, really Thanks. giving people. So and not that you have to be that to receive that, but people are more apt to give, mm-hmm. I think, when when they when you're a nice person, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, so, um, so what happens... So you be, then we're on a stand up for cancer campaign. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so one of the moms at school works for uh, an organization that works with stand up to cancer. And she emailed me one day and she said, we're going to be doing this PSA. Do you mind if I submit you for it? We're looking for like, you know, cancer survivors. And I was like, Oh, sure, go ahead, you know, use whatever photos you want from Facebook. And she knew my whole story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't think anything really after that. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from her. And she's like, so they picked you. And I'm like, oh, cool. She's like, so it's with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, she's like, you don't have any lines, but you guys, you know. So I went down to the studio and we did photos together and you know here comes Morgan Freeman and I'm like thinking okay don't talk about Shawshank don't talk about Shawshank because <laughs> I'm like everyone probably talks to him about Shawshank yeah right so you know I was like what do I talk to him about and so he comes over and we're just settling in while the photographer's getting ready and I'm like what did I say I was like so my kids love dolphin tail <laughs> oh my god that's awesome <laughs> that's like what comes out of my mouth yeah but, you know, he was so sweet and he was really, you know, professional and he's we just started talking about kids and I think he's got like 11 grandchildren or something. He's got a really big family. So right. we just talked about that. And then um, he went to do his part of the video PSA and that was just amazing to watch. He, you know, they would tell him like it needs to be three seconds shorter and he would do the same thing and it would just be three seconds shorter. And, and then they, um, in that, during that, they came up to me and they're like, so you're going to have three lines. Oh God. And I was terrified. I was, you know, cause I was like, I was told I wasn't going to have any lines. Right. And so they gave me the script and they said, you're just going to repeat three lines that Morgan had. So, you know, it was like my, like I, we were talking about earlier. I don't, I've done some acting, but I don't really, I'm not really an actress. And, so I'm looking at my worst nightmare was like forgetting lines. So I'm looking at this paper trying to remember this line. And then I look up and I'm like, what was the line? So what they ended up doing, they looped um, Morgan's lines so I could hear it. Mm-hmm. And then I just repeated it. And they didn't end up actually using it. But the but uh, the PSA turned out really amazing. And it was um, Genentech is this organization that they do research and they're creating like all these new you know, treatments for cancer and that kind of thing. So that that actually ran um, ran on uh, like billboards, it was on billboards and magazines. Yeah. I had a lot of people flying on Southwest Airlines, like texting me, yeah. "You're in the magazine." That's and cool. so for me, that was really like making lemonades out of a year of lemons, getting right. to do something like that, and and that just kind of. Um, it really sparked something in me that I realized that even though, you know, I had won this lottery that nobody wants to win, that maybe I can do something to help other people. Right. You know, going through the same thing. 
Yeah, that is the truth. Mm -hmm. I think that's why we're all here, Mm -hmm. is to help each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You never know what one person listening to this goes, I'm changing my perspective about my process, you Mm -hmm. know, or... Mm -hmm. Or I've been the exact same place and I now I don't feel alone. Exactly. You know, that's the thing. I think most of the time people who go through any type of terrible, you know, abuse, mm-hmm. illness, bankruptcy, anything, they feel very alone. Mm-hmm. And to not feel alone is very healing. Right. To, yeah. And to, and to get the, that, diagnose, that diagnosis, you know, I know what that feels like. So I've had a number of people come to me, you know, my mother was just diagnosed with cancer um, or my friend was just diagnosed with cancer or even people, friends of mine going for their mammogram. They're like, I'm going for my mammogram and I'm, I'm really nervous. Right. And, you know, they know that they can come to me and right. and that makes me feel better to maybe they're not quite as scared as they were because they have seen me go through it and they've mm-hmm. seen me come out the other side. And right. so that's so, yeah, that's, you know. That's great. So did you lose your hair in chemo? I did. Yeah. Yeah. um, So what I did was my hair was like down to the middle of my back when I was diagnosed. It was really long. Yeah. You know, because I'd been pregnant and, you know, you get that pregnant hair. Yep. um, (laughs) It's like, it's like a Chia pet. (laughs) It just, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's, yeah, it was everywhere. But um, so what I did is before my mastectomy, I cut it up to my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And then before I started chemo, I did like this cute pixie cut. So I was like, it was, I kind of treated myself to these nice new cute haircuts right Mm -hmm. before each step. And then, yeah, one night, um, you know that feeling if you have your hair in a ponytail for a really long time and you take the ponytail out and you get, it's like kind of sore in that spot. So Mm -hmm. I kind of felt something like that and I put my hand in to rub it. And I came out with like a handful of oh, wow. hair. And I was like, all right, here we go. And I was like, I did this thing. I took a picture. I was like, okay, goodbye, long locks. I'll see you again someday. Yeah. And, I ca- and then I called my friend um, and said, can you come over tomorrow and shave my head for me? Yeah. So we set that up and she came over and I didn't look in the mirror the whole time because I didn't know how I was going to feel. And halfway through, I had her stop so we could take a picture of me with a mohawk. Oh, how cool. <laughs> so I have a cool picture of me with this like tough look on my face with a mohawk. That's and then awesome. what makes it even funnier is that the <clears throat> Annabelle's little extra saucer was in the background. <laughs> <laughs> how funny. So You're I a like, badass yeah. mom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love that photo. Um, but I still hadn't looked in the, the mirror. I just knew I f- was feeling tougher. And so she finished it and I looked in the mirror and I didn't feel sad at all. I felt stronger. Um, it was your warrior cut. Exactly. Exactly. Heck and then, yeah. And then the next step was having Annabelle see me because that's what I was worried about. You know, she was right. little. She was, I'm trying to remember how old she was, if she was nine months old or something like that. At that point, maybe eight months old. And uh, the first thing, and that's the picture that they used in the background of the Stand Up to Cancer PSA is the picture of the first time Annabelle saw me with my head shaved. Oh, yeah? It's really sweet and special. And when they, I gave them a bunch of pictures. And when they picked that one, I told them the story and they were like, that's incredible. Um, She, I looked at her and she just smiled. Oh, you know, I, a lot of, I think babies, if they saw their mom with like a different haircut, like I remember when I got my hair cut, when I had Ashley and she was like, when is it going to grow back? She didn't like it, like it shorter <laughs> right. than it was. But Annabelle smiled at me and I knew that it was going to be okay. It was, That's so great. Mm-hmm. What a great story. Mm-hmm. 
So what about you has changed post this? What what changed in you either like physically or emotionally or mentally? Mm-hmm. What's different now than before? Well, the physically, um, it was really a lot to come back from. You know, that's it was a lot of a lot of trauma on my body. And I've heard people say that for every hour you're under anesthesia, it takes your body like a month to kind of regenerate and you know recover and I added it up and I was like oh okay no wonder it took me two years right (laughs) because I was under that much anesthesia that's a lot um but for me I think the big recovery has been that like trying to get back to exercising because I was pregnant and then I was nurse you know nursing a baby and then I was diagnosed and then I had the surgeries in a year so that was like I was the one that was in like the body pump class twice a week you know before all of that happened and then here I went like three years or uh, two and a half years without even being able to really exercise very much. I was in physical therapy, like right. two years of physical therapy, but that was really different. Not the same. Not the same at all. And so um, Scott for Christmas, was it not this Christmas, but the year before, got me a membership to Gold's Gym where he goes and yeah. he got me some sessions with the trainer. So that I think was a big um a big changing point was working out with this trainer. So I was able to, I found out like that I couldn't do the exercises the same way. Um, You know, there were a couple things he tried to, that we tried to do. And then like, I was in so much pain, I couldn't even turn the steering wheel. Wow. And it was like things that you normally would be able to do. But I went to see my surgeon and I asked him about it and he said, well, you don't have a lat flap, a lat, a lat muscle on the side anymore. We took that out. Oh my God. You know, and he, so he was like, you can't hang from stuff. Yeah, right. That's over. <laughs> no more monkey bars for me. Right. Um, and I have oh, to be wow. in control of the weight. So it was one of those things like it's been, it's been a year and I definitely feel like I'm back on track finally. But I think that's one thing too that a lot of people don't realize is when, when you have all these surgeries, you know, you have to really like relearn things like oh I can't do the tricep exercise that way I have to do it this way kind oh of thing. okay yeah so Cause everything's different mm-hmm. yeah um and so physically it was a it was a big recovery and I'm really like happy that we had the insurance that I was able to go do physical therapy and right. and then you know the working with the trainer was just I to me in my mind it was a continuation of physical therapy sure and it was also an hour it was an hour on that twice a week day that I could just go in there and not think about anything. Right. I didn't have to worry about, you know, getting the girls to school or, you right. know, this and that, the other thing. I had that hour. And so I told, I remember telling the trainer, I said, I think this is like how people feel when they go to yoga. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I was always one of those people, I could never do yoga because my mind would just keep going. Right. I would be thinking about all the things that I needed to do or, you know. It, but when I was working out with this trainer, like he's telling me what to do and I couldn't think about other things because right. I was having to like learn these, you know, exercises focus. and focus. Yeah. So that was, I feel like that was kind of like therapy for me too. Sounds like it was mm-hmm. a bit of a, a type of therapy. Mm-hmm. Therapy comes in all forms. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sit and talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's uh, definitely mm-hmm. an escape exactly. or a quieting mm-hmm. of the mind exactly. in a certain way. <laughs> okay. So the recovery was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um do you feel like you lost a lot of strength in general or stamina after this? Yeah, yeah. I would I, imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, even even before I had cancer, I remember telling my doctor, like, when I was pregnant, I said, I'm so tired. I think something's wrong with me. And she's like, 
you're pregnant and you have two kids. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Did she end that sentence with yeah. duh? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. You think about it, you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. I did that too forever. I go, I don't know why I'm so tired. And then I'd think it's because Isla Kreischer wakes up between two and three every day. And I have to wake up and put her back in the bed. Exactly. That's it. That's it. It's not rocket science. Yeah. But you think, I think. I think our generation somewhat thinks we are like 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Oh, yeah. You know, we could lift this house Mm -hmm. and throw it across the street. And it's just simply not true. I don't know why Mm -hmm. we came up with that. But Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of my friends are like, I don't understand why I'm sick for the third day. Right. Well, because sometimes it takes 10 days to get well. Right. Right. From like the common cold. Right. And we don't give ourselves that allowance. Right. Oh, no. I mean, you know. Even like I was saying, even when I was going through chemo and I was feeling like so sick, I was I had to get up and I had to go, you know, get her from keep her from climbing up the stairs or whatever. You know, I couldn't just. Yeah. Recover. Exactly. You had intensity with no recovery. (laughs) Exactly. So so I definitely think that that's why it's I feel like it's taken so long and I get tired and yeah, kind of thing. But so you were saying earlier in the kitchen, you have chemo brain. Oh, yeah. What does that mean? Well, it's funny because a good example of it was like at school, like I would go for pickup at school and I would have like a friend come up to me and start talking and we'd be talking and then I would realize I don't remember this person's name. Yeah. And I've known this person for years at school and the harder I tried to remember their name, like the more it was lost to me (laughs) or I would remember their kid's name, but I wouldn't remember their name. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I, um... It's, I, yeah, it's just being really, really forgetful. And it, I remember seeing something somewhere that said, nothing's really lost until mom can't find it. Because <laughs> I was always the one that knew like where everything was. And now yeah. I'll be like laying in bed trying to remember, oh, where did I put that necklace that I wanted to wear? And, you know, not being able to fall asleep because I'm trying to remember and not being able to remember. But for me, I think a lot of it was not being able to remember like, yeah, people's names or you know, that kind of stuff. Simple so, things. Simple things. Yeah, yeah, I have that with no chemo. <laughs> I don't know if that's my, I have three kids too. One mm-hmm. just happens to be 46. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I wonder if that's just part of aging too. Yeah. If you're, yours accelerated because you oh. were in so much stress. Oh, with, for sure. With yeah. the chemo in and of itself is very stressful yeah. on the body. Yeah. Not to, to mention everything else you went yeah. through, all the surgeries. But um, well, I also have a medication that I have to take called tamoxifen uh-huh. for five years. It's a hormone um, blocker mm-hmm. to make help the cancer not come back. Yeah, and um, it put, basically puts you into chemically induced menopause. So that's been like a Super challenge fun. on top of everything, <laughs> hot flashes and wow. all. Um, but I think part of that is is literally my body thinks that I'm like twenty years older than I really am because right. you know the whole menopause process starts and and so yeah so i i definitely feel sometimes like (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute did i skip 10 years exactly 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 (laughs) i would imagine because menopause i am perimenopausal and the hot flash i don't have hot flashes but i have night sweats Mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm out of control I'm like totally out of control of my own faculties Mm -hmm. and i hate that feeling and i know that it's part of life is totally completely out of my control uh-huh. but it doesn't make me feel good right. i feel like seriously i'm sweating through entire pajamas and changing sheets mm-hmm. and 
going in What's the wrong with you, Leanne? Yeah. <laughs> Can't you control yourself? You know, your olfactory system's gone crazy. Exactly. Um, it's like someone flips a switch and just lights this fire from inside of you. It's bizarre. Yeah. Now, I don't have the hot flash mm-hmm. at all. The sweating at night. I feel like I'm in a swamp. literally i'm just soaked like the rim around my t-shirt is ring out soaking everything so anyway um so besides the chemo brain anything else changed like i had i know somebody who had like straight hair and now it's curly oh my hair grew back um first it grew back super soft and it was like baby's soft hair Uh you know really fine yeah um because i lost it like everywhere i was completely bald 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 as bald can get um and so yeah it grew back super soft but then it grew back really really curly like really curly i my hair had had a little bit of a wave to it before but um it grew back really curly and it just kept growing out (laughs) (laughs) like you had a fro yes exactly exactly oh my god um i would not know what to do with that hair i know i and it was so funny because i look back at pictures and I was like, here I am with this big smile on my face and my hair is just like crazy and like out to like (laughs) sticking off my head. One time I decided to try to use a flat iron and see if I could straighten it. And I looked like Brian Grazer. It was sticking straight off my head. (laughs) And there's a picture somewhere of that, but I never posted it anywhere because I was just like, I was just like laughing so hard. And I remember, I think I put on a hat or something that day, but it grew back really, really curly. And, um it's i'm trying it eventually it started growing down um and uh then i decided like i had never tried blonde hair in my whole life and so i decided why if not now when right and so i tried blonde and i really like it but that's good yeah so it was one that's another thing you know i think i was just like you know i've always wanted to try it i'll just try it um that's something that changed yeah is that you what would you say that is you you took more well, it's not risk. I guess right. it is sort of a risk mm-hmm. to you may not like the hair. Right, right. To yeah. just go, oh, may as well try it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I think part of it, too, was because I, I was like, well, I've had long hair. I've had short hair. I've had no hair. Mm-hmm. I might as well try blonde hair. <laughs> Why not? Right? <laughs> yeah. Do so, you think it's changed any, has it changed anything with the way you view food? Or I know, I think it changed the way you viewed like, products like beauty products and stuff yeah for sure that was me about that um well that was like a big that was a big realization that was something um a friend sent me you know a box of beauty counter products and I was trying them and I like really liked the scent of the face oil and this and that and so I kind of started asking questions and finding things out and um I found out that the makeup line that I was using I started using this particular makeup line um, on my wedding day, basically. And I had been using the same makeup line for 15 years, like literally 15 years, the same. And I, through a little research, found out that, um, some of their makeup had known carcinogens in it. And I was like, wait a second, I've been putting this lip gloss and lipstick on my mouth multiple times a day for 15 years and it has carcinogens in it. Yeah. What is happening here? And I tell people that it was kind of like that scene in The Matrix where he finds out he's been living in a false world because I'm like, how is this not illegal? Right. But it's not. You know, I mean, the United States hasn't um, had new laws restricting skincare and makeup ingredients since like the early 30s, 1930s. I heard, I heard, uh, I think the creator of Beauty Counter mm-hmm. speaking right. about this. Mm-hmm 
on NPR, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Greg Renfro. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy. Yeah. How is that okay? Exactly. How is exactly. that okay? It still boggles my mind that mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's why, you know, some people would slowly switch their stuff over, but I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm and, done. Yeah, uh-huh. done. And I had this, like, full bottle of this foundation, I remember, and I thought, well, I could give it away, and I'm like, I can't give this to anybody. Right. It's like I'm giving them, like, Poison. Poison. It's got carcinogens in it. Yeah. So I just threw everything away and switched everything over to a beauty counter. And that's another thing I feel like I've kind of become more of an advocate for safe products. And, you know, I tell people, like, check your products with the Environmental Working Group or there's an app called Think Dirty. But there are so many safe options out there. And, of course, I... I love Beauty Counter because it works for me. Right. Um, but I just want people to be safe. Right. And so that's been a big thing for me is trying to like advocate more for, for safe skincare products. And, um, you know, if something has fragrance, that's really a dangerous sign too. So that's something people need to look out for right. because when they, when, when they pass the law for fragrance, um, that was when like people would have their secret ingredient that they didn't want to share with anyone. And, oh, if I share share my secret ingredient, someone will copy it. I didn't know that. So they passed a law that said, like, okay, you can put it under fragrance. But really, that's a way, I think, for that companies get away with hiding these dangerous chemicals. Is they because who knows under. what it is? Exactly. They don't have to disclose it. So... That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. scent from an essential oil is okay, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know they did that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like, so that's kind of been become my little, my little kind of catchphrase with, you know, when I talk about beauty counter and things, I say, you know, it's because people shouldn't have to wonder if their lipstick gave them cancer. Right. And, you know, I get like goosebumps when I talk about that, because it's so it's such like a big deal, like you're putting things on your skin that Mm -hmm. absorbs into your skin. Um, Ava did the health class at school, and they sent her home with a little thing of deodorant, um, and I was like, hmm. So I looked it up, and sure enough, that deodorant had known like hormone disruptors. Oh, really? And it was a brand that everyone uses. Right. And I was, I realized at that moment, I said, this is how it happens. They give them this little deodorant, and then when they go to buy more, they buy that same brand because right. that's what I used, and I'll just keep using that. And they, you use it for thirty years, and then you suddenly have cancer, right. or you suddenly have fertility issues, and you don't know why. Right. You know, I mean, there are things and they're now they're finding what Roundup in our food, you know, weed killer in our food. What? Yeah. You didn't hear about that? No. Oh, yeah. Roundup is terrible. <laughs> it's weed killer. And they're finding they're finding it in some cereals. What? In yeah. cereal? Because mm-hmm. the wheat. Yep, exactly. No. Yeah. Yeah. Had no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm so irresponsibly ignorant about that kind of stuff i I mean that really is the truth it's irresponsible to be ignorant but i am irresponsibly ignorant about stuff like that the carcinogen that you're talking about that you don't i don't think anybody's ever thought well i'm rubbing this on my face every day Mm -hmm. i'm actually putting a because your your skin is your largest organ exactly it's absorbing into your whole system Mm -hmm. makes so much sense and yeah, I never thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I use Beauty Counter. Mm-hmm. I am horrible at skincare. If, if I use anything, I use Beauty Counter, but mm-hmm. I don't use it often because <laughs> I am a, the worst. I've always been the worst. I don't wear makeup mm-hmm. hardly ever. But 
when I, I don't even know that you talked to me about this. I think maybe Sam talked to me about oh, okay. why you were selling oh, Beauty yeah. Counter. Mm-hmm. And that first time I went to the party and bought some stuff and I liked the stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm not a diva with beauty right. products. I just assume use the stuff that's pure and right. clean mm-hmm. because I'm not attached to any. I am not that girl and nothing wrong with being that girl. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, then I'll just switch to this because if I'd rather just know for sure it's okay for you. Right. And we use like a, an organic deodorant, mm-hmm. you know, but because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put yeah. the, there's like metal in some of the deodorant and I didn't want to put that in my kids. And then right. I thought, well, then why am I putting it in me? Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. stupid. <laughs> oh, not for you, but I'll take the metal, you know? So I was like, well, wait a minute, maybe I should switch too. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you think about those things for your kids, you keep exactly. your kids safe, but I don't think about that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, that's a really interesting thing to think about to just kind of look at what you put on your body not just in your body because everybody knows not to smoke not to drink you know too much not to you know not to eat fried foods all that's kind of duh but when you think about like how many it wasn't really that long ago that they didn't even realize how dangerous smoking was true so then you think about like so now we're finding out you know about things in food and we're finding about the chemicals in our you know, cleaning products and our skincare products causing these things. And you think, gosh, what is it going to be like when our kids are our age? Right. The things that they're going to find out that we're doing now that we don't realize, you know, are contributing to health issues in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so, crazy. Mm-hmm. So that changed for you, the health, yes. the not the health, the um, beauty skincare. Mm-hmm. And you sell Beauty Counter. I do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I know. Yep. I know. Oh, okay. I yes. still buy through you. <laughs> Even though I go online, I go, Tonya, Tonya, she's my person. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, um, and it wh- makes me happy when, you know, even if someone orders just a lip gloss from me, that to me, it's not as much about, you know, the business of selling the product. It's that I know now that that friend is using something safe. Right. You know, that I know that, you know, now the lip gloss that they're putting on their mouth doesn't contain carcinogens. Right. Mm -hmm. Such a noble point of view, Mm. really. If we all could just be a little more noble in our points of view, I Mm. think we'd be in a much better place, right? I think so, too. I think so. Um, So you mentioned your pastor. Mm-hmm. Were you religious before you uh, were diagnosed, or did the re- did religion intensify after your diagnosis? How did it affect your religion? I, I always, I always went to church, like with friends when I was a kid, or when I was older. When I moved here, you know, we started going to the church that that I actually work at part time now. I do their social media and their website and stuff like That's that. That's awesome. Yeah, um, but I definitely feel like it it brought me like closer as far as realizing the miracle and realizing the mortality, I suppose um, that, yeah, I think it definitely increased my faith and, right. Um, and I feel like I've gotten more connected with people around me, like probably more on the spiritual like basis and stuff, you know, just m- kind of, yeah, more wanting to do more to help people, the people around me. So that's probably more, you know, based in that as well. Right. I wonder, do you think, I'm not very religious, but I do believe in God. Um, I do believe there is a higher power and that there are purposes for people. Mm-hmm. And um, 
not that our path is laid out entirely and that we have no free will, because mm-hmm. I believe we have free will, mm-hmm. but that th- you, you are kind of who you're supposed to be yeah. and who you were meant to be. That's, that's, I think that's been a hard thing for me is realizing that I am where I'm supposed to be. I've always, feel, I feel like I've always been that person like, oh, did I make the right decision to leave that job, you know, five right. years ago, if I hadn't left that job, would I be in this, you know, spot that I'm in kind of thing or right. that kind of thing. So I think that I, oh, now see, I, this is part of it. I just lost. I'm like, what was I going to say? <laughs> we were talking about faith. Yeah. And I think, oh, um, and I, you know, I, I, one of my brothers actually has a really hard time with having faith because his um, daughter, my niece, was diagnosed with leukemia when Mm. she was six years old. And, you know, we saw her go through that. And she's wonderful. She's healthy. She's stronger than ever. She's like run marathons. And um, so she's, so he, we had different views. I viewed it as she was healed. Yeah. But he viewed it as how could God let my daughter get leukemia? Right. Um, she was cursed exactly yeah exactly and I you know so it's interesting because even you know growing up at I'm trying to rem- I don't remember how old I was when that happened but you know we definitely viewed things differently right um, and even um, I lost another brother to suicide when I was 22 oh, and he was goodness. 23 and that was another kind of confirmation for my other brother that how could God let that happen? Right. And, you know, for me, it was like, how sad is it that he was going through, my brother that passed, that he was going through something that he couldn't see a way out of. Right. And then, you know, I thought if if it, he wasn't meant to be released from that turmoil, then something would have happened to stop it. And as hard as that is for some people to maybe hear, um, you know, I, I, I feel that, you know, that he was released from that. And like, it's like when you watch someone be sick for a really long time and then they finally pass away, you know, you feel bad and you miss that person, but you think they're not suffering anymore. So um, I I think that's kind of a good example of, you know, how you, two people can see the same situation in such two different ways. Right. You know, um, it increased my faith, I guess. Right. Where is his, it challenged his. And so... Yeah, no, things like that clarify my belief in God. Mm-hmm. It, it clarifies it where I, I really believe that things like that happen because that, that was that person's path. Right. And that person was supposed to affect other people. That mm-hmm. that was the purpose of whatever happened, of mm-hmm. a suicide or a sickness mm-hmm. or a car accident that mm-hmm. changes your life forever. Right. You know, then I, I, I don't know. I don't I think it's. Maybe it's faith-based to not live in regret, to to believe that you are taken care of, even if it's hard, mm-hmm. even if what you're doing right now is a struggle and terrible, mm-hmm. that there's a purpose for it, right. is is gives you hope, mm-hmm. like you yeah. said. Yeah. It gives you comfort in some way. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't go to church, I haven't been to church in forever. I don't have a problem with church. I just don't, I just don't go to church. Mm-hmm. But I very much believe that, there is something bigger at work than me mm-hmm. 
for sure. <laughs> I have no doubt that other <laughs> things know more than I do. <laughs> right, right. And to just relax into that. And exactly. Just relax into it and go, well, I'm supposed to have this breast cancer right now while Scott's on the floor and can't get up and I have a child <laughs> crawling because I'm supposed to learn something, gain something, give something. Exactly. Something is coming of this because if, if you didn't believe something was coming of it, you would be hopeless. Mm-hmm. You'd be in a hopeless right. place, right? Right. And I feel like the very first time um, that someone came to me and said that I, you know, in fact, I remember like someone came to me, a friend of mine and emailed me or texted me and said that she was going in for her mammogram and she was really nervous. And that was kind of the moment for me that I realized that this, I think, is what I'm supposed to do. This is, right. you know, and, you know, I tell people like, I'll never give cancer the credit for the good things that have happened since then. Right. Um, but like you were saying, like that was part of that was part of my path. Right. And now, you know, I'm being I'm able to help people. Right. I'm able to advocate for, you know, safer skincare products. Um, uh, I signed up for Ancestry DNA and um, through talking to that biological aunt, now I'm closer closer with a cousin, a biological cousin, That's and her great. daughter, who's Annabelle's age. That's amazing. We travel back and forth and visit each other. She's in San Diego, and just last week, um, just I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I looked down at my phone, and it says um, Ancestry says you have a new match, and I'm like, oh, so I look at it, and it says that it's a first cousin. And um, it turns out it wasn't a first cousin. It was a biological half-brother. That's amazing. So now, literally, just in the past week, I've gotten in touch with um, my biological father's family. Wow. So that probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't started feeling like I really need to find out some family history. Sure. Because I have three girls, and I need to know, like, if there's something I need to, you know, if I can help prevent for them like cancer. Yeah. So, so yeah. So then what happens is your heart expands Mm -hmm. from this experience, right? Mm -hmm. You were given the opportunity to expand your circle of love by in, by finding all these family members that you Mm -hmm. maybe had no motivation to find or Mm -hmm. didn't have any reason to look for particularly and when you're in the thick of three kids who has time right but <laughs> when your heart opens like that and more people in your community embraces and helps with you uh the person that gets credit for that is not cancer it's you mm. you get credit for that you get credit for creating a, a more open heart from that experience instead of shutting it down and going this was terrible I don't want to talk about it this was the darkest days Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you had days when you did feel like that Mm -hmm. but that doesn't serve the world right right and that's actually one thing that our our pastor he 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 died um a year ago but he uh, he he told me all the time oh thanks he was yeah he was with our church for 27 years so uh what 18 or 19 years as our pastor wow um and he would tell me all the time how thankful he was that i was so open with my story and what was going on with me because he said a lot of people wouldn't want to talk about it and they'd want to keep it to themselves and right you know i've known a couple of people that were diagnosed after me that told me about it but said please don't tell anybody i don't want to talk about it i don't want to make it a thing right you know 
And for me, I was just like, it's, it was so different because I felt like the more I talked about it, the more I embraced my community, right. the better it was for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we need each other. We do. And you know, not everybody's the same. I'm not saying it's wrong right. not to talk. That's everybody's personal choice. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine I would stand on the roof and shout, I have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Who's making lasagna? Because I don't have time. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I would be, to be open to receive, mm-hmm. right, allows mm-hmm. you to give more. Right. Because it's reciprocal. It, exactly. you, it creates more energy in you to be able to give back. Right. It's such a powerful thing right. that 99% of the people in the world want to be a part of. Exactly. They want to help you. Exactly. And how, you know, how amazing is it? I remember seeing this um kind of meme thing it said I want to inspire people I want someone to look at me and say because of you I didn't give up and that's amazing I feel like that's like encompasses like the whole like reason why you know I was excited to come to talk to you and why you know I'm excited about sharing like beauty counter and different things is because even if you know I there's one person that I inspire to not give up um then that's a phenomenal feeling. It's a phenomenal feeling. Mm-hmm. It is because that is what we were meant to do. Mm-hmm. We're tribal people. We are not lone wolves. No. We are tribes. And we have to do that for each other. Mm-hmm. I wish I wish it were more in uh, I don't in any stretch of the the imagination want to make America great again, but there is <laughs> something really great about the way my grandparents grew up Mm -hmm. in that everyone knew everybody like in our little community here Mm -hmm. and everybody helped everybody right and in the broader spectrum of the u.s i think that has gotten really lost yeah and it's very your team or my team instead of our team we're all on the same team Mm -hmm. and why we can't see that we're all on the same team, even if we don't agree. You know, you don't have to all have the same opinion right. or the same beliefs to agree. I mean, mm-hmm. the people that wrote the Constitution didn't all have the same religious beliefs, but they came to an agreement mm-hmm. and they moved forward with it with compromises and listening and not just listening, but hearing right. what someone says and being able to respect that feeling as well as their own. Mm-hmm. That's so lost today, I right. feel. Right. It right. really is a shame. Yeah. There are too many people out there that think it's either my way or the highway. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And we need each other. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking about this with me today. Uh-huh. And thank like you, you just me. said, if, if one person who listens is inspired or helped, then I am thrilled. <laughs> I have been inspired. Aww. And my purpose always is for me to learn. And I learned a lot. Thank so you. thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and come back again. Yeah. We'll talk about something else. What else can we talk about, Tanya? <laughs> I don't know. I, we could probably talk a lot more about adoption. and We could do that. Know, that kind of stuff. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do another yeah. one about adoption. Okay. I'll see if I can find someone else who was adopted. So that would be a good juxtaposition. I really yeah. wanted this one to be just you. Thank you. Because your story is really special. Mm-hmm. And so is everybody who has your story. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody. That's such a... I know I'm going to leave here and think, oh, I should have talked about this. Or I is there anything we missed? <laughs> Tell me. Is there anything you think of now? <laughs> no, I mean, we talked about the stand up to stand up to cancer thing. That was like a fantastic thing, getting to do that. And Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. I know I kept seeing the campaign everywhere. Oh, my God, that's yeah. 
that's so great. She turned that into this. Mm -hmm. Lemons into lemonade right there. That's amazing. So how, I guess one thing I didn't ask about was, how was Scott in this process? How was he? Um, He was really great. I mean, he, you know, I talk about not being able to get up off the couch when I'm sick, but he's the one that gets up in the morning with the girls, like at the crack of dawn, like six in the morning, even though I'm awake, he lets me like wake up slowly, you know, that kind of thing. So he gets up and he gets them out of bed. And, you know, sometimes we have three. So, you know, he'll take two this way and I'll take one that way and and that kind of thing. But I mean, that's even though it's hard having... um, not the steady income. It's amazing that our kids get to have both of us with totally. them. You know, like twenty four seven, basically. You know, unless he's working, um, we're both there, and it's kind of a team effort. And um, you know, he does his laundry, and I do the girls' laundry, and you know, <laughs> then he'll fold it and put things where they don't go. Right? Oh, <laughs> or, I have you one know. of those. But he doesn't do any of the first things. He just put things where it doesn't go. Yeah, I'll find like uh, jeans in my underwear drawer. And oh, I'm perfect. like, oh, Scott did the laundry. Cool. <laughs> well, I'll thanks just, for doing the laundry. I'll just, I'll just right? move this over here. Well, I you think know. if I had gone through what you had gone through, Bert Kreischer would have become totally dismantled. Mm. He would have... I actually said i think i did an episode about menopause oh and my biggest I could have been here to talk about that too. i didn't know i did I had no idea you were going through it um i in that episode said my biggest fear about menopause is that i'll have to take care of bert while mm. i'm in menopause so <laughs> i i can't imagine what would happen in my world if I had had your experience in this world? I don't know what Bert would have been. He's, you know, he's a lovely human being. Mm-hmm. Caretaker doesn't really go next to his name. <laughs> well, I think, I think um, that's one of the things, too, I think is a takeaway is that people are really stronger than they know. You know, until, right. what is it, you're not as strong as you realize until you have to be. Right. You know? So, I mean, with Scott, I mean, my mom luckily was able to come down and help us out a lot. Yeah. So, you know, when she was there, my mom was kind of like, she was on Annabelle duty. Yeah. And Scott was able to, you know, take care of the other two and that kind of thing. So it definitely became a team. Right. You know, you become a team. Right. Was Mm -hmm. he scared? Oh, I think so. Was he emotional? He was. When, When I came back from that, being the initial appointment of the mastectomy and the the ultrasound, um, I had to stop and pick up one of the kids at a babysitter, a friend that was watching her on the way. And when we got home, I sent her inside. It was Ashley. I sent her inside. And I was like, I have to tell you something to Scott. And I was like thinking in my head, like, how how do I even say this? Yeah. What? How do I word this? And he looked at me. He's like, just spit it out. I'm like, I might have cancer. <gasps> And, you know, the look on his face was the look on your face right now. Like, you know, you're just like, that's like the very last thing you ended, you expected to come out of my mouth. He thought that, oh, Ashley got in trouble at the friend's house right, or whatever, right. you know. Yeah. Um, and then um, his brother was visiting us at the time. And I remember talking to his brother and thinking, where's Scott? And I went upstairs and he was upstairs. He was crying. And I was Aww. like, I'm like you don't get, we can't cry yet. We don't know what's happening. And I said, this isn't a Disney movie. The mom doesn't die in this one. Right, right. So that was kind of, you know, that was something that I've repeated over kind of like the, you know, you have been assigned this mountain to show that it can be moved. 
Right. That's where I got the name for my like blog website is Hope Moves Mountains. Oh, I didn't know you had a blog website. I do. I'm Hope working Moves on Mountains. Hope. Yeah, Hope Moves Mountains. I have Instagram and I have a website, Hope Moves Mountains. And um, that's where that came from was Hope when, you know, the doctor told me to have hope. Um, that became a big thing for me. I was like, of course I have hope. And I, you know, you've been assigned this mountain to show it can be moved. Right. Became a big thing for me. But that was the thing too when, you know, Scott, he, I could tell he was really scared. He was picturing himself raising these three girls by himself. Well, not to mention losing you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a marriage. Your kids are forever, but a marriage lasts way past they're gone. Right. You know, when they're gone, it's really, mm-hmm. that's a really big deal. I yeah. know you've said that a lot that he, <laughs> he would be raising them by himself, but I think the loss of you would be enormous. Yeah enormous if Bert lost me he would be dead he would just not know what to do with himself (laughs) right which is you know and I wouldn't if he died also it would be terrible I mean Mm -hmm. you you the raising the kids part goes on just like Mm -hmm. it went on when you were in chemo Scott would just go on right but the relationship you guys have a from outside looking in you seem Mm -hmm. to have a really great relationship so that would be I bet he was crying about that. <laughs> I bet he was crying about losing you. <laughs> the, the other stuff would have worked itself out. Yeah. Um. I yeah that I bet he was. He's such a sweet person. Mm-hmm. I bet he was just devastated. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. So, um, and you know. I think so when I went to the biopsy he stayed with the girls and a friend took me to the biopsy and you know I look back on that and I think why why didn't he want to go with me to the biopsy but I think he was just too scared yeah you know I mean I think that it was more I he wanted to be with the girls I think um right because I think he was yeah in that moment where what am I going to do if this turns out to really be really cancer? bad yeah, yeah really bad Bless his little heart. I know. He made it through. (laughs) Bless his heart. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine the look on his face when you said that. Poor little thing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's just such a sweet guy. Um, I bet his heart broke in that moment. Just Mm -hmm. broke. Mm Mm-hmm. Poor little thing. The whole, I mean, that's the second, like, that the, like, whole world changed, you know? So how is your relationship different? past uh, post cancer like are you is he more considerate or less or what is anything different do you notice um i mean i think it's probably both it's kind of a give and a take uh-huh. i mean you know obviously going through menopause and you know that kind of stuff brings in even you know more emotions for me and you know the extra five pounds that your body like seems to gain when you're going through menopause, right. you know, makes me feel a little less comfortable in my own skin sometimes. And, um, but, uh, so I think that, yeah, it's been a little bit of adjustment for him for sure. I think just dealing with the, the post cancer me is a little bit, maybe, um, m- like maybe a little more emotional than I was before. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, he just has to, we just have to go through like the motions of things instead of getting to go, you know, spend time with each other, or that kind of thing. 
Um, what do you mean? Go through the motions of things instead of spending day to day life with three kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, day to day life with three kids. I think. But that's not about <laughs> cancer. That's about three kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Three yeah. kids is a lot, and you yeah. didn't have three kids really essentially before yeah, the cancer. You really, they all showed up at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's her teratoma tumor in mm-hmm. your boob. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It was another little <laughs> Annabelle. <laughs> right. Um, but I think you know the the being maybe more tired. That kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. That would be an adjustment, I would imagine, mm-hmm. for your spouse. I talk, we, Bert and I have talked a lot about pre and post kids mm-hmm. because with no sleep. Right. And uh, I don't want to stay up till midnight watching movies again. I'm up at five. Oh, exactly. You know, by and, the time we get Annabelle to bed, I'm ready to go to bed. And yeah. So, so, yeah, that's, you know, that's definitely the adjustment. And, you know, there's not to get too deep into, those things but you know intimacy is a little different when you're going through menopause it's a little more difficult Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that part of part of it and that's been an adjustment for him you know trying to find other ways to be close right you know um, yeah Oh, I wish you'd been on Hormones that episode. Hormones change things. <laughs> I wish you'd been on that menopause episode because both the ladies on it had none of those issues. Oh, okay. They were like, oh, no, everything down there is fine. Oh, and yeah. And I was I like, know. well, I hear that it happens for a lot of ladies <laughs> that it's not fine. No. But they were both like, nope, totally working fine. Oh, so, yeah. My, my, one of my the cancer support websites or Facebook pages that I'm on, like, that's all the talk. Like, there, is it? There's, yeah. People that talk about that nonstop, you know. It's yeah. Like, what's what's the best like you know stuff to use yeah. to get that area working again and you know coconut oil actually oh <laughs> good a, to know there's coconut a certain oil. there's a certain like lube that has coconut oil and that's like definitely the good thing um so but yeah it definitely for me it definitely changed things i don't know if it's different being chemically induced right you know so my hormones were forced to change right so i don't know if that's different but i think that that it and that, and then having three kids on top of it for sure, you know. So yeah, like you said, I he's Scott will stay up and watch Netflix series, and I'm like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it is odd when that happens. It happens for me. I mean, Bert gets off stage at one thirty in the morning, so when he comes home on the two or three days a week, he's home. He doesn't want to go to bed at ten. And he wants me to adjust my schedule to mm-hmm. accommodate his schedule mm-hmm. because he's only here for a couple of days. It's not like it's the same schedule every day. So then I can spend the five days recovering, but it takes me the full five days to recover <laughs> from staying up two days, yeah. you know, and he, I can't get him to, sometimes he gets it and sometimes he gets his feelings hurt where he's like, no, I don't get to see you. Mm-hmm. This is it. And you're going to bed? <laughs> so you don't want to see me? And I'm like, no, babe. I get up at 545 every day. Mm-hmm. You sleep till 930 or 10. Right. And that's your schedule. But it's nobody's fault. But mm-hmm. I'm, I can't. You're asking me to compromise my, my own health mm-hmm. to watch a movie. Right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Love you. Let's watch a movie at uh, like 1 p.m. when mm-hmm. everybody's in school. Right. But we can't do that either. We're always working. Yeah. But. I've talked to him about menopause because actually after I did the episode, this is one of the great things about this podcast for me is I sort of work things out in here, Mm -hmm. almost like therapy. Mm -hmm. Then I can go talk to him about it because I'm like, oh, I got this worked out. But sometimes I have a hard time working things out with Bert because he's very reactive Mm -hmm. and he's very emotional. Mm -hmm. So if I say, you know, I'm worried that uh, you're... I, you're going to be my problem in menopause. I'm not going to be my problem. You are. <laughs> what? Right, you know, right, right. For me to have a conversation with my girlfriends and then go, I kind of got it all figured out. So after that, I was like, you know, 
women have like vaginal dryness and i i apologize but i i would imagine that would hurt yep yeah yeah. a lot Mm -hmm. and so i can't imagine i'd be like yeah baby let's do it anyway let's just rip it to shreds you know exactly and he's like that would really hurt my feelings if we couldn't do that i'd be really hurt Mm -hmm. but what are you supposed to do exactly exactly and i think it it's you know maybe like yeah one time it's like okay okay it's that and then when it goes on for a period of time it's suddenly it's like well, that can't be, that can't be it, what it is. You must not be attracted to me anymore. That's what Bert said exactly. Yeah. He said it's got to be, I will believe, no matter what you tell me, I will believe and feel it's because you're not attracted to me. I'm like, can I control the night sweats? Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to control that either. It's right. just part of what's going on in your body. Yeah. And lucky you, men don't have that kind of extreme right. thing mm-hmm. like that, like menopause in so many ways. Mood swings for some women are extreme. The night sweating the vaginal dryness all of those things potentially could affect your partner Mm -hmm. men don't have anything like that that could affect us and even if it did women i think by nature tend to be a lot less kind of um or a lot more nurturing about stuff like that and coddling in in a positive way Mm -hmm. not not in a enabling way but in a way that makes them feel better so that makes me nervous about my future. Now to hear that from you, I go, okay, so that's not an unrealistic fear. Right. It's no. a very realistic fear, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, the, you know, and it's hard too to to not feel like guilty or at the same time to, you know, feel a little like resentful because you're like, can't you understand that, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. Totally. Kind of thing. And, uh, you know, then you, you were joked earlier about having a, another kid to take care of. And yeah, sometimes it feels like that. You know, you're just like, I have four kids instead of three kids because I have to make sure, you know, that he's happy and taken care of also. Right. And then you're like, but what about me? You know, kind yes. of thing. So it's definitely yeah. a balance with all of that. It is, especially with an artistic husband. Mm -hmm. You know, they tend to be a bit more emotional and open and reactive Mm -hmm. by nature because that makes them good at what they do. Exactly. But then it makes you a bit more, for me, anyway, I'm not speaking for you, but for me, it makes me definitely more the caretaker. As Bert was, this past week we were talking about that exact thing about having care a caretaker like I'm his caretaker. (laughs) And then I went, but who takes care of me? And he goes, you do. Right. And I went, but I need someone to take care of me. He's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You're good. Mm-hmm. But I'm not good. But <laughs> but I'm so good at it. You think I'm good. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually not good. Right. I, I actually would be nice if you would, you know, take care of me. And he's like, I can't figure out how to do that. Like, I can't <laughs> figure out what you need because you just do all of it. Right. So then I go, well, there's nothing that she needs. Right. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. No, I know. I remember my mom telling me like through everything too. She's like, if you, if you let people, if you make people think that you can do everything, then, you know, you're not going to get the help that you need. They'll let you. She was kind of like, you know, you have to take a step back is what she was telling me, you know, and let other people like help you and do things. Otherwise, you know, they'll think, oh, she can just, she can do it all. She's got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a good thing. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. If you let people think you can do everything, they will let you do right. everything. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we have to get you to work. Okay. So yeah. thank you so much. And let's do definitely come back and talk about adoption okay. for sure. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Girl, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new pair of roller skates.